Well, this is, uh, as Pastor Brent mentioned, the first Sunday of Advent. There are four this year. Some of you grew up in a church environment where the observance of Advent was very important and it added great uh, significance to the Christmas season. Others of you grew up um, in a church environment where it was never mentioned and you have no idea anything about it. Still others didn't have any church experience at all as a child or a very minimal experience. And so what does Advent mean? Let me just make it very brief this morning. What does Advent mean? The word literally means coming. Advent, he's coming. So one who celebrates Advent is one who not only acknowledges but celebrates the coming of the Lord. Well, coming how? Well, not only coming as the Christ child and coming His first Advent into the world, it's celebrating that. It's celebrating His coming into your own heart. And certainly there is a celebration. Advent can be used to celebrate the second coming. And how many believe He is coming again one day? So that's what that is all about. So if the meaning of Advent is that He is coming, the purpose of Advent is to, uh, is to engage in a season of preparation for His coming, thus the four weeks and why we are, why we, this is the first Sunday and each Sunday there will be a time of devotion uh, that will take place. And it's all about building the anticipation for that glorious day on Christmas, not just out buying presents and attending parties and getting with family and friends and all that's great stuff. But Advent is preparing our hearts over a period of four Sundays with the lighting of a candle because Jesus is the light of the world. Can I get an amen? With the reading of the Word, for Jesus is the Word. He's the eternal Word. With the offering of devotion by various families of Bethesda, for our devotion is unto Him. All for the purposes of preparing our hearts for the culmination on that glorious Christmas day as we celebrate His coming. So here's what we're doing. You saw what we did this morning. Other families will be participating. And then next Sunday, uh, I'm kicking us off this morning with our message. I'm going to give in just a moment. Next Sunday, Pastor Michael will be speaking about the wise men. The following Sunday on the 17th, Dr. Marty will be talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then on Christmas Eve morning, which is a Sunday, Christmas Eve morning, Pastor Dez will talk about whatever he wants to talk about. Here's what I know you can count on. If Pastor Des is going to preach, he will be talking about Jesus. There's no doubt about that. And to all of this, the church gave a rousing amen. amen. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to do my best to kick it off this morning on this wonderful Christmas season. Uh, there are so many places we could start with the Christmas story, and none the least being the Old Testament prophecies or the prophecies of, of uh, Zechariah. <clears throat> or we could go before that. We could go all the way back because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Obviously, the Word is Jesus, and He has always been, for all things were created through Him, Scripture tells us. So we could go all the way back to there. But I want to start us off this morning for this 2017 Christmas season on that night that He left the splendor of heaven. He was born of a virgin, and he entered into our time and space to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And specifically, my focus this morning is going to be on the shepherds. Now, <clears throat> as I began to approach this, 
all kinds of memories come back in my mind, all kinds, you know, I've been involved in a few Christmas productions over the years, and even as a child. I, I, let me just ask, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a Christmas musical or play? Raise your hand. Let me see. In the balcony, any of you? Yeah. All right. Let me ask you men specifically, how many of you ever had the task of, of dressing up like a shepherd? Raise your hand. Oh, come on. We got more than that. Yeah. Maybe as a child you did. So I'm guessing if it was as a child, you borrowed your dad's bathrobe. Somebody put a cloth on your head with a band around it, and they might have put a staff in your hand. That's probably the way <laughs> that it went. Um, you know, we, when I was a minister of music, we ministers of music, we had our own lingo. We had our own sort of language and communication and, and our phrases for things. And, and when it came to this thing about dealing with costumes at Christmas time and, and you, know, you had angel costumes and wings and all kinds of stuff that happened. But they would often, we'd often say to each other, so this year, are you going to do the bathrobe parade? That meant, are you going to dress up these young boys as, as uh, shepherds? So let's put a focus on the shepherds this morning. And as we do, I'm going to ask you in your mind and in your heart to go with me and let's try to, as best we can, relive that incredible night when something absolutely amazing to happened in, out in the fields. You know the passage. You can probably quote it from memory. We're going to read it in just a second. Something incredible happened, and I want you to go with me to that night, and let's see if the Lord has anything for us to see with fresh eyes this morning about what took place with the shepherds. Let's read it from Luke chapter 2. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, because I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David, and you're going to recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, and suddenly that one angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Verse 15, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What a night. I think we could call that truly the night of all nights. Now, this world that we live in has witnessed many nights since it was created by God. Many of those nights passed 
without anything particularly stunning or remarkable or incredible taking place. Other nights saw profound changes in history take place. On April 14, 1865, America went to bed thankful that the long, bloody war between the states was finally over, but awoke the next morning to discover that President Abraham Lincoln had been assassinated. There was another night. It was on December 6, 1941. America went to bed watching war spread across Asia and Europe and thankful that for the time being, America was being left out of that conflict, but awoke the next morning to the news of the surprise Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and to the awareness that avoiding war was no longer a possibility for us. But there was another night. It was on June 5th, 1944. The world went to bed wondering when Adolf Hitler and the, his Nazi armies would be defeated and the people of Europe delivered from his iron grip. But the world awoke the next day to news of the Allied invasion at Normandy on D-Day. The nights I just mentioned brought radical changes to our world. But other nights also have brought incredible circumstances to pass, and the world completely failed to notice what was happening. One such night is the one I just portrayed in our text that we just read. For the night Jesus Christ was born was just an ordinary, nothing special about it night from a human standpoint. So what do I mean by that? The shepherds are watching their sheep. It's what they do. It's just another night. The people in the villages and towns of Israel are sleeping off the weariness of another long, hard day. Just another night. Just ordinary. In Jerusalem, the high priest and the other men of religious power sleep as though it was just another ordinary night. King Herod has no idea that his kingdom has been invaded and that a new king is about to be revealed. The world over, people drifted off to sleep, not knowing that God was transacting eternal business right in their very midst, not knowing that a Savior was being born in Bethlehem, for the night Jesus was born had all the appearances of just being another common, ordinary night, and yet it was unlike any other night in human history before or since. You heard it last night. You'll hear it again tonight, written in 1847 by a composer by the name of Adolf Adam. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. Go with me. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The Bible uses the word groaning. In sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That word hope always points to the future. So fall on your knees, is the message to the shepherds. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Oh, night divine. Bethesda, let's take a peek in and get a closer look at what really happened. It's really an interesting thing to me that this first announcement of God coming to earth came to some shepherds. What's so special about the shepherds? And probably the question you and I have to ask this morning is, why should that be significant to us? 
Well, let me just unpack a little bit about, about shepherds. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you don't. Shepherds were despised, completely despised by the orthodox religious people of the day. And one of the reasons for that is that they were quite unable to keep the details of the ceremonial law. They could not observe all the meticulous hand washings and, and all the rules and regulations. They couldn't do that because their flocks made way too many demands upon them to do that. And because of that, the orthodoxy really looked down on them. You guys can't even do the religious things that you are supposed to do. So they were looked down on. Their line of work prevented them for, from uh, participating in the regular feasts and holy days that made up the Jewish calendar. And why? Very simply, somebody had to watch the sheep. It really wasn't their fault, but they were looked down upon, certainly from a religious point of view. And whatever might have been in their hearts, they weren't able, were not able to participate fully in the religious life of the community. Shepherds were held in very, very low esteem. In fact, listen to this. The Talmud instructs that no help be given to heathens or to shepherds. So that's the category they were put in. Do you not find it interesting that it was to these kind of people it was to these men, the men of the field, that God's first message of the entrance of His Son, the advent of His Son, came. That's who He brought it to. Let me tell you something more about shepherd. They were not allowed to be courts, uh, to, uh, into the courts to even be witnesses. They were not permitted to give testimony in, in a legal proceeding because their word was not considered to be trustworthy. These were not the high and mighty. No, they were pretty much the lowest of the low. And they had little to no social contact with others because they were in the fields 24-7 protecting sheep. Now, step back for just a moment. Imagine your God, your God, and, and you want to announce the most amazing, incredible, joyous, life-changing, world-changing news that has ever or will ever happen. An event that will literally change the course of history. The birth of your only son, Jesus Christ. The birth of the one who will be the Savior of the world. The one for whom the nation of Israel has been pining and groaning and waiting and hoping and praying for, for thousands of years. Finally, he has come. To whom do you announce it? Who do you tell? Who do you invite to come and see? Well, we look at what we do today. When a child is born to a member of British royalty, for instance, when William and Kate were having their son and their, their daughter... They did not send a messenger down to the docks to break the news first to the longshoremen and the fishmongers. What do you think? When Prince Harry announced this week that he's marrying, uh, who's he marrying? Megan somebody, okay? They did not issue personal invitations to the cab drivers of London to come to the wedding. I doubt that they did that. I'm guessing that if any announcements or invitations were sent, about, sent out about the birth of William and Kate's children, they were printed probably in gold leaf and hand-delivered to political leaders and foreign heads of state. The point is that you would expect an event like the birth of Christ to be announced to the most important 
people on the planet. Political leaders, kings, governors should have been the first. Magistrates, even Caesar might have been invited to come and pay homage. It should have been delivered to religious leaders, priests, rabbis, synagogue officials, the head of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. They would all be invited to worship their Messiah. I mean, after all, isn't there protocol here for these things? Isn't there a, a way this is supposed to be announced? Like, to, shouldn't military leaders and wealthy merchants, merchants and men and women of distinction, the news media, surely they're going to hear it first. But none of them got the word. None of them were invited. Only these few poor shepherds. Social and religious outcasts. Low life, we would say. That's who received the announcement. So what was God doing? God was demonstrating by, he, by his choice of these humble shepherds to be the first to receive the news of Christ's birth that Jesus was not going to be the Savior of only the political and social and religious elite. Who's thankful for that today? Jesus was not going to be the Savior only of kings and governors or popes and priests. Who's thankful for that today? Jesus is the Savior of all equally, and he does not give any preference whatsoever to any group or any class. Hallelujah to that today. Nor does he discriminate on the basis of intelligence, education, wealth, profession, political power, social standing, or any of the other qualities by which we humans judge. God doesn't judge that way. Who's thankful for it today? His love is offered indiscriminately to anyone who will repent and believe, anyone who will trust Him as Savior. I love the way the Scripture puts it, and I've been involved in a song that's titled this. The Bible says this, whosoever will may come. Are there any whosoever's in the house today? Raise your hand if you are. However, these were in all likelihood very special shepherds. Well, they were what they were, but likely special shepherds. Here's what we know. We know that in the temple, morning and evening, an unblemished lamb was offered as a sacrifice to God. And to see that the supply of perfect offerings was always available, the temple authorities had their own private flocks of sheep. We also know that these flocks were pastured not very far from Bethlehem. Those are things we know. It is most likely that these shepherds that we have been reading about this morning in Luke chapter 2 were in charge of the flocks from which the temple offerings were chosen. So think of it for just a second, church. The shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These ordinary shepherds, these common shepherds, these, these outcasts, these shepherds were about to meet the great shepherd. Now, can I get to the musical part of all this? I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go. In Palestine at this time, the birth of, the bo of a boy was an occasion of great joy. 
And when the time of the birth was near at hand, friends and local musicians typically then would gather near the house. When the birth was announced and it was a boy, the musicians broke into music and song, and there was this universal congratulations and rejoicing. However, this was a completely unique and a completely different circumstance because Jesus was not born in a nice house. Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem, and so therefore all of that ceremonial stuff that normally happened when the friends and the, the, the musicians and all came over, that, that stuff could not be carried out except for the fact that He's the Son of God. So on that, listen to me, on that night, the minstrels of heaven took the place of the minstrels of earth. I love that picture. And what we've just read tells us that angels sang the songs for Jesus that the earthly singers could not sing. So think about it. One of two things had to have happened here. One of two things. At first we have the one angel appearing to the shepherds, probably Gabriel, uh, who had made the announcement to some of the others previously, and, uh, but the Scripture doesn't say for sure. But the mere presence of that angel and, and the accompanying glory that surrounds them literally, and we read it, it terrifies the shepherds. So the very first thing that that angel had to say to them when he showed up to, to make them aware of a, what he was about to tell them, the first thing he had to say was, fear not. It's the same thing the angel had to say to Mary when, when he delivered the message to her of what was going to happen to her. Fear not. It's the same thing the angel in Matthew 1 had to say to Joseph when the news was delivered to him of what was about to take place. He had to say initially, fear not. So can I just say this to us this morning? That the supernatural activity of God, who believes in the supernatural here? Am I talking to anybody who believes in this? Okay. The supernatural activity of God in our lives will no doubt stir us, it will shake us, it will rattle us, it will mess with our rhythms, it will disturb our normal, and the natural reaction to all of that is fear. Why? Because we don't really want our normal messed up, do we? We've worked really hard at getting our normal to be normal, haven't we? But the supernatural shaking of God in your life carries with it a message. And that message is this, fear not. The next time you feel like your world is crumbling, the next time you think something is shaking within me, my world is being rattled, I'm getting news that I wasn't expecting, it didn't plan on, and it, yet you know within your heart, I, oh, I know what I'm talking about here, you know within your heart God is up to something and it is terrifying you, just remember what the angel says to you, because it is him who is speaking to you, fear not. I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, but I do know this. Some of you are experiencing circumstances that are shaking you to the core of your being. Some of them I know about. You're sensing that a big change is on the horizon or it's knocking at your door. 
and you've responded with what would seem to be the appropriate sense of concern. Maybe you don't want to call it fear. Let's call it concern over your future. Or maybe you're finding yourself in brand new territory. Maybe you're facing circumstances that you weren't expecting and you've not been here before and you didn't really have any way to prepare for it or you, you weren't expecting or planning this. Let me encourage you in this Christmas season to do what the shepherds did. If that's your circumstance, look up. Ask God to give you fresh eyes and look up. And as you look up, dear friend, Receive the message from the messenger of God who says to you this very morning, fear not. And the church said, hallelujah. And why can you accept the message of fear not? Is everything in your life about to be turned upside down? Fear not. Why? Very simply, because the Lord is with you. We've already said it. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, blessed are you. I need an amen this morning. So we go from one angel who's making the announcement to the shepherds, maybe Gabriel it was, to what we're going to call a suddenly moment. By raising your hand, has anybody in the room ever experienced a suddenly moment? It's quite a few. You woke up to what you thought was a normal day. You woke up to what you thought was just going to be Standard stuff. And then suddenly. I love the way the scripture just starts the phrase with that. Suddenly. And in that suddenly moment for the shepherds, it's no longer the one angel, but now suddenly the sky is filled with what the Bible calls a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. And what are they doing? They are praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I wish I had another 30 minutes just to unpack everything that has been exploding in my heart over that phrase alone. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And I decided, I concluded this week that that must have been, it had to have been the time when the word spectacular came into existence. Because we have a vast host praising God. So how many, how many angels constitute a vast host? What was really there in the sky over these shepherds? Well, the book of Daniel, in chapter 7, describes another presence of angels, and here's what it literally says. It says there were millions upon millions. That's a lot of angels, folks. Ladies, that's a lot of angel costumes to sew for the Christmas pageant. So, Brent, can you imagine the conductor of the angel choir, whoever that's going to be, and I'm sure when you get to heaven, you'll get your fair share right after me, okay? <clears throat> Next to me. That's a joke between the woods and I. <clears throat> Can you imagine the conductor of the angel choir announcing to the singers, which is what we do, we rehearse music and then we have, a little, have to sell the announcements and deal with the logistics of what we're going to be doing and when we're going to be doing it, what you're supposed to wear, and ladies to only wear a certain size earring and watch, you know, la, 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 all that stuff that we do. Can you imagine the conductor of the angel choir announcing to his singers what their next concert's going to be? It's going to be to a handful of shepherds. 
It's like um, telling Bethesda Choir to spend the whole year rehearsing to perform Handel's Messiah, but then give the concert for maybe eight guys who are over at the fair cleaning the stalls of the animals. We're going to take the whole choir over there and you're going to sing this for six or eight guys who are, you know, dealing with stuff that's not pleasant. And so, here's what I want to say. One of two things. Are you with me in this moment? We no longer have just the one angel. We have a vast host of angels filling the sky and what they're doing. Here's what I think. One of two things had to have taken place in this moment. You can decide for yourself which one might have happened. When this vast host of angels suddenly appeared, either God gave the shepherds a special sight into the spiritual world and dimension, or God caused the spiritual dimension to appear to their physical sight. I'm going to say that again because that went over some of you. Pastor Des, I now understand this in a way that I didn't understand before. He did that for years. One of two things happened in that special, incredible, spectacular moment. Either God gave the shepherds that a special sight that was just for them, and God could certainly do that. How many of you know there is a spiritual world and dimension? Uh, how many of you know there's a spiritual world and dimension? There is. All kinds of stuff taking place that we don't necessarily see, but it's happening all around us. So one of two things happened. Either God gave the shepherds a special sight into the spiritual world and dimension, or the other possibility is God took that spiritual dimension and that spiritual world and allowed it to be given to physical, natural sight. You decide what you think happened. Either way, either way, may the Lord grant us in this Christmas season fresh eyes to see what He is doing. Oh, come on, church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Do you want to walk just through another ordinary Christmas season, doing the mundane, not even aware of God's presence in your life, what all He has done? I know we're busy taking up with all the stuff we do at this season. I am personally, particularly enjoying a fresh season of just being bathed in the incredible uh, presence and, and message of the plan of salvation. It is so wonderful that God saved me. Does anybody else feel that way today? So maybe in your own personal private time, you could say, Lord, either give me eyes to see what is taking place in the spiritual dimension all around me. Give me discernment to see that. And if I'm not able to, would you then allow that spiritual dimension to take on a form that my natural eyes can see? And anybody who agrees with me say amen. All right. Just want you to know it's a real blessing. Oh, Usually there's a clock right there and it's off. And I, I've been this whole time thinking, what a blessing that that clock is off. But they've got it over there. All right. 
I want you to see a few quick things. I'm going to wrap this up pretty quickly. That's not your cue to leave, but I'm going to wrap this up quickly. Because there's some things that I think are sitting right here in Luke 2, 8 through 20 that are evident to us. And I want you to see them with me this morning from this passage before we dismiss. Number one, the shepherds. I want you to see their resolve. Luke 2, 15. Let me reiterate this from the passage. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go. Say that with me. Let, this is their resolve. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us now go. This was immediate obedience. Say those two words with me. Immediate. This was the resolve of the shepherds. Immediate obedience. They didn't put it off. They didn't dismiss it. They didn't come up with all the reasons and excuses not to go. They didn't have to go by the Northeast Mall to do more shopping. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to get online to Amazon and order stuff. They said, let us now go. And here's what I want us to get from this. Every act of obedience keeps you on the road to Bethlehem where your destiny is supposed to come to fruition. Obviously, that didn't hit you like it hit me. Every act of obedience keeps you on the road. Every act of obedience that happens in your life, when you are responding to the voice of God, when you're responding to the message of God to you, your immediate response of basically saying, let us now go, keeps you on the road to Bethlehem where your destiny is supposed to come to fruition. I need an amen for that. But when I'm walking in disobedience, I am no longer close to where God wants me to be. The voice of God always creates, listen to me, the voice of God always creates in the soul of man the consciousness of responsibility. And that responsibility is to obey the voice of God, obey the Word of God, obey the Spirit of God. But to refuse to obey is to lose a sense, that sense of urgency. To refuse to walk in the light is to lose the awe the utter awe of the voice of God. To linger and stay where you are and decide you've got other things you need to do and to minimize the voice you just heard from the Lord when God has said to go may cause you to become a pillar of salt. Hello. To do nothing with the voice of God will even cause us to think it was just my imagination. When you Refuse to have the resolve of let us now go as the shepherds did. That is the risk that you want run when you refuse to accept it. And hear me, church. It comes straight from our text. Angelic presence does not last forever. Angelic presence does not last forever. Angels leave. It's what we read this morning. They went back on up into heaven. They got other stuff to, to do. Angels leave. 
But you, the recipient of the message from God, must quickly and obediently respond to that message. When we refuse the voice, the voice will no longer be heard. To constantly do nothing and to sit back when you know the Lord has spoken to you it, to, to, it is to silence that voice and to turn us into even cynics about hearing the voice. Then the next time you encounter someone says, you know, I heard the Lord speak. Yeah, right. And you have earned your right because you chose to disobey to become a cynic about the voice of God. And the other thing, when we do nothing, it makes us emotionless in our, right in the midst of our disobedience. And when it comes to the things of God, the product of procrastination and postponement, what that produces is a hardened heart. Is that what you want? That's what your disobedience will do. When you refuse to have the resolve of the shepherds, let us now go which was the resolve that they had with their immediate obedience. Number two, relax, there's only 40 that I have. That's not true. There was a resolve, and there was their reward. They came, they found. They came, they found. Luke 2.16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And here's the good news to all of us today. Every truth seeker, every God seeker, every life seeker will ultimately end up with God. He will not refuse anyone who seeks him. Scripture says he will in no wise cast you out. And because they were diligent in their pursuit, the shepherds were the first mortals apart from Mary and Joseph, to see the incarnate Christ, God in the flesh, in a manger. Oh, oh, what rewards there are for those that respond with urgency when they hear the voice of God. Number three, the shepherds. Their return. Verse 20 says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. They returned. Wouldn't you think, after an experience like that, wouldn't you think they wouldn't go back to shepherding, but they would go into ministry? Wouldn't you think they'd get matching suits, maybe a bus, start a gospel quartet? Wouldn't you think they would have done something complete. You know what the Bible says here? Listen to me. The Bible says these men went back to shepherding, glorifying God. They went back to the sheep, glorifying God. They went back to shepherding, glorifying God. Coming in contact with Jesus does not stop your world. Coming in contact with Jesus changes your world. And so now they were shepherds with a vision. But nonetheless, going back to shepherding smelly sheep right after this glorious experience. Church, we do not need the grace of God to face demonic attacks as much as we need the grace of God to face your 24 hours a day as a saint of God. 
and to go through the drudgery of a job unobserved, ignored, unappreciated, and yet be a disciple of Jesus. That's what takes the grace of God. It is inbred within us that we want to do exceptional things for God. All of us who have accepted Christ as Savior and and, and love His kingdom and love Jesus, it's within us naturally that we want to do exceptional things for God. But the truth is that we must be exceptional in the ordinary things. They returned to shepherding, glorifying God. And here's the truth to all of us today. We are, sometimes we get an image that we have a euphoric moment. God gives us a spectacular moment. Wonderful. Praise God. And we decide that now we are going to live on that level. But there's a few of us who've lived enough years and walked with God long enough to know that those moments are fabulous. Cherish them. Savor them. Love every second of it. But know that you're probably headed back to shepherding sheep right after that, because we are to be holy on mean streets to mean neighbors and working for a mean boss if we are going to return glorifying and praising God. Somebody agree with me this morning. Finally, the shepherds, they're rejoicing, glorifying and praising God. If you have truly come in contact with Jesus, no one has to tell you to praise. uh, How can I say that another way? If you have really had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus, nobody has to tell you how to praise. When you were born, no one had to teach you how to cry. No one had to teach you how to swallow or blink. No one had to teach you those things. They were the natural thing that happened. When you encounter the living Lord Jesus, no one has to tell you to praise. You just can't keep quiet. The shepherds, this is their rejoicing. C.S. Lewis said, we praise what we enjoy because the praise not only expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. So what is praise, Bethesda. What is praise? Very simply, very simply put, it is vocalizing our compliments to God. I have a dear friend who's in this choir who says, I just want to brag on Jesus. Dan, could I just brag on Jesus for a minute? It's vocalizing our compliments to God. Now, here's what we got to understand. I was thinking about this in our time of worship this morning. Praise is different than singing. Did you know that? We think the singing alone is all there is to praise. Praise does not need a song to keep going. Let me try it again. Praise does not need a song to keep going. And there's a difference between a singing church and a praising church. You see, to a praising church, when the song is over, they may be done with the song, but they still got something to say. That's what a praising church does. The song is over, but I ain't done yet. I'm not done with my compliments to God. I'm not done bragging on Jesus yet. Singing requires a good song. Praise simply needs a good God, and there's a big difference. 
And praise is not praise until it is vocalized. Here's what I need to tell some of you this morning. I need to send an email to you that says this. You cannot praise with your mouth shut. Hello? You cannot praise with your mouth shut. You can pray. You can meditate. You can worship. But you cannot praise with your mouth shut. Praise is audible. It must be heard. Can I get a witness this morning? All right, if you were here last night, you learned. We have a new puppy at our house. Now, this example is ridiculous. I'm embarrassed to give it to you. But we're in the midst of puppy training. And she's doing wonderfully well so far. So far. Don't ask me tomorrow, but so far. But when she does what she's supposed to do in the right place that she's supposed to do it, we, we understand how this goes. Guess what? She gets praise. Now, I don't just stand there and think of it in my mind. I'm training a puppy. It's not just thoughts in my head. It's not something that I'm just pondering and thinking because, you know, I'm, I'm a private person, Gerard. I'm quiet, and I, I, I don't really express much to other people. But that's just who I am. Don't say nothing. It's not just praise in my mind. It's just not something we do privately. No, guess what? It is out loud. It is lavish. It is unmistakable. It is praise. The shepherds, their resolve, let us go now. Say that with me. That was their resolve. And you know what? That is immediate obedience. Please walk out of here with that today. Their reward. They came and they found. Those who seek after the Lord, he will in no wise cast you out. If you're seeking Jesus, he's not going to turn you away. He can be found of you. The shepherds, they returned to their own world. And all the yuck and all the stuff and all the other people and all the things that happen and the folks that annoy them and their problems and their circumstances and all, they return to their world glorifying and praising God. And finally, as you stand with me this morning, they're rejoicing. Those gentlemen figured out what praise was, and they figured that it was out loud. They didn't have to have a Hammond B3 organ as much as I enjoy it. They didn't have to have a bunch of keyboards here on the platform, as interesting as that is. They didn't have to have musicians as wonderful as they are, and I thank God for every one of them, and I prefer a service with musicians rather than one without. But let me tell you something, Bethesda. Your praise does not depend upon a song. Your praise does not depend upon if these folks who lead us happen to hit your right song that really pushes the buttons inside of you. Your praise depends upon the fact that you serve a good God who is doing wondrous things over and over. And I'm going to say one more thing, and I'm going to shut up. 
Now, I understand. I've read all the scripture about what you're supposed to do in a church service, what we're supposed to do when we come before him. Lifted hands, lifted voice, clapping hands. I understand all that. Every once in a while, and I'm going to encourage you to lift your hands. I'm not going to stop doing that. I'm not going to stop encouraging you to clap your hands. I'm not going to stop asking you to sing with everything that's within you. Because the real question this morning about, about our worship service is, did the people sing? Did the people rejoice? That's the main thing. That's the, the litmus test for us. I'm not going to stop doing that. But every once in a while, I get a concern that we have develop, developed a, a habit that we allow our applause to replace our praise. I am wondering if you've heard a thing I've said today. Because you know what can happen? This is easy to do. This is easy to do. I can do this, and I know when, as they're coming to the end of the song, this is when I do that. And that's appropriate. We'll continue to do that. We're not going to stop doing that. But we must not ever allow this to replace our vocalizing compliments unto God for the fact that God is great and He's greatly to be praised and we better learn how to open our mouths, say something unto Him that exalts the name of Jesus, lifts Him up higher than every other name. Come on, somebody's got a praise in this house today. Let it be known. Let it be heard. Lift up your highest praise to the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name.